Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Yes, welcome back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. It is a lovely, gentle Sunday afternoon. Uh, the raindrops are splish splashing outside, <laughs> and we're sat amongst three cups of tea. That sounds like we're actually sat in the middle of cups of tea, but no, the cups of teas are before us. <laughs> but we're having a lovely Sunday chit chat about the film Animal Crossing. Yes, and we are joined and being hosted today. By a special guest, he is the mayor of Astown himself. It's Mayor David Thayer. I'm your mayor, David Thayer, and I regret naming my podcast Astown. <laughs> Please tell me how that came about. There's kind of a running joke uh, mm-hmm. on a games blog called Tiny Cartridge mm-hmm. um, that uh, every time they name a character or a town or whatever, they call it Butts or My Butt or Butt yeah. Town or whatever. Um, and when I was trying to think of a name for my Animal Crossing podcast, I thought it'd be funny to give it because it's a kind of cheeky podcast it's a comedy podcast so um why not give it a slightly rude name um and at the time i was also looking at trying to parody other podcasts that were out there and s town was a big one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so uh, you know butt town didn't quite work bum town i thought maybe americans would think it meant tramps yes there um so uh (laughs) i hit upon s town because it sounded a bit like s town it seemed like a funny idea at the time I think it's wonderful. <laughs> I think it, it perfectly encapsulates the feeling of the podcast. It's, it is a sort of British cheekiness that I do approve of. And um, yeah, I think I was talking to you before we came on air, or whatever this is <laughs> that we're on, that um, I'm pretty... I wouldn't say I was an Animal Crossing virgin, but I my experience through Animal Crossing begins and ends with the first GameCube game, or N64 game as it really was. So I've been kind of in the desert of Animal Crossing, the deadly desert of Animal Crossing for so long. And listening to the first three episodes of your show really made me just hype about the new Animal Crossing game. And it really feels like coming back to Animal Crossing. And, and I think the the game itself has that sort of cheeky streak, doesn't it? It doesn't take itself too seriously. It does. It's surprisingly cheeky. And I'd say especially the older version, like the GameCube one, does have like a quite naughty streak to it. <laughs> Not as in rude, but like... Some of the characters can be quite crass, quite rude <laughs> to you. So we could have, and because it's British localization, I think a lot of the time it'll be like carry on crossing. That would be quite, <laughs> quite a lot of fun. Where like one of the rabbits uh, expose themselves. No, <laughs> that's maybe a bit too bawdy. A, a bit, a bit too bawdy. Yeah. But yeah. yes, but Astown itself is a very, um, it's very lovingly produced. You can you can tell that it's created by someone who has a deep affection for Animal Crossing and the way you use the music and the little sound effects that, you know, provide that lovely bed uh, really sets the scene and the sort of ambience of um, of Animal Crossing, I think, something that carries through to the film as well. So uh, how did you first get introduced to Animal Crossing as a franchise yourself? So I was back at university in around 2002, living in a shared house with some other nerds, and um, the GameCube had only just come out 
um, the year before. And we found there was a giant video games uh, shop in Bournemouth, or pool, where we were living. And now I have so much more appreciation for it than I did back then. I mean, back then I was excited about it, but I came from a small town and I expected all other places to have exciting, interesting shops. Mm -hmm. But this was a really remarkably good video game shop. It had all the Japanese imports that you can imagine. And back then, it was much rare, you know, games didn't get released on the global release date. It was sometimes years between releases. So Gosh, you've reminded me, we had a local video game shop and yes, I had to decide I could play Mario Kart Advance now for an extra £100 <laughs> or I could wait two months. And it was like, mm, trying to justify that to yourself. What was the name of that video game shop? I think it was just called the Video Game Centre or okay. something. It was something generic and it was just a giant shop that had... It was crammed with stuff, and I was a big Nintendo fanboy. We did have the internet uh, at my house, and so I'd been reading about Animal Crossing, this this other franchise that I mm. knew was produced internally by Nintendo but hadn't come out um, in the U in the UK. And then the American version came out, and this this shop had it for sale and the freeloader disc that you needed to play import games on mm. your GameCube, mm. um, and for quite a reasonable price. So I bought it, and it comes with a little uh, memory card. Mm. Oh, yes, it's such a huge save. Yeah, it takes up the entire memory card. And I, I took it home, and it was the perfect environment because I was sharing my house with three other people, and we each had a house in our town in Animal Crossing. We were students, so we had kind of different different times we were in and out of the house. Um, and so we actually shared this town, and I got the what I feel is, is like is the full experience of Animal Crossing mm. at the time because I was able to share it with the town with other people. We used another memory card to visit another town that we made. Okay. So although it wasn't actually sharing with a friend that way, we did get to visit this other town and see what that dynamic was like. And I had the Game Boy Advance, so I could connect the link cable, and I could go and visit the extra island that was Ooh. hidden on there. So it was great. It was really. No, I remember, I remember reading all these things Nintendo had, had ideas for, like you do it with your family and your parents, you think, that's not going to happen, so you had the proper experience. Yeah, that seems like the perfect way to do it, because um, I think the original creator of the game, uh, Katsuya Eguchi, uh, mentioned that because when he was working he was always getting home late, and so wasn't able to play games with his children, so one of the inspirations behind it was the fact to create a a shared space that he could play games with his family members, but not at the same time. So mm. you could see what your, you know, kids or other family members had been getting up to while you were out and, you know, leaving notes for each other. Or and rude messages kind of stuff. on posters if you were my <laughs> housemates, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, do the dishes, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just passive-aggressive post-it notes, but in a cute digital realm. Yeah, it does rather imply that this creator only wished to communicate with his family via his own <laughs> creation. Like, um, I imagine... don't want to talk to them. I'm going to create something so I can, you know, be a little bit nicer than I am. I mean, imagine if he wrote a message, a rather sarcastic message, delivered to you by a, a pelican, and then he died on his way to the office. That was the last thing you got. Some people say voicemails they received... This would be <laughs> Animal Crossing. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, my town from university, I have a pretty much the same story as you. I was at uni when it happened. I was living with a house of students. We got really obsessed with Animal Crossing. I was in Newport, and so I named my town Neoport, which I thought was rather clever. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't bring myself to seek out my game today for this podcast, because I think I, I just... 
don't want to go back and it'd be a ghost town and can you imagine just well i'm quite looking forward to going back to my town from the mm. gamecube era because i haven't done that um for a long time i might have gone back to it after i'd left university but not since then so i really like the idea i know it's going to be full of weeds and i'm going to get an earful from everyone saying where have you been for 15 <laughs> years or whatever it's been but i like the idea of going back and finding those kind of artifacts like the the posters and the you know the the designs just to understand what that world was like again and see how much has changed or how much might still be there. And, and how much you have changed yeah. in well, the process. Yes, I can't believe I had that haircut back then. Yeah. <laughs> can't believe I was so into pirate hats. <laughs> Here is a true story. Of four friends picked to live in a video game. And find out what happens when they stop being themselves. And start being someone else. Animal, Animal Crossing. Crossing. For Nintendo GameCube. A sheep moved into the village today. Sweet. Why am I always the one organizing the treasure hunt? Maybe I'd like to sit around blasting techno music all day. Welcome to Animal Crossing, the live game that's happening every minute of every day, whether you're playing or not. Trade you some wallpaper for your UFO. You think I'm a chump? Try the raccoon. Rated E for everyone. Uh, like you said earlier, because the first game came out 2001, originally on N64, then remade for GameCube, but then the GameCube version didn't eventually come out in Europe until 2004, mm. so some sort of three years or so after its initial release. I remember on my gap year, I was in Australia, and I saw it in a games shop in Australia, like a year before it uh, came out in the UK, and just thought, well, it's here, it exists. That is bizarre, isn't it, that whole... Mm. yeah. I'm sure with all the kind of text and dialogue, there are localization issues, because it's always the case you have to released concurrently throughout Europe, so you therefore have to translate into French, German, Spanish, etc. But still, you know, it's amazing that everything gets released generally around about the same time now. Mm. But um, as we're talking, there is New Horizons uh, imminently on the releasing horizon. on the horizon. That's an exciting prospect. They're sort of drip-feeding us with details at, <laughs> at the moment. Because I've been so out of this franchise for so long, um, I've only really been sort of getting hyped through osmosis until this week because I know you and um, Hamish, our friend of the podcast and brother, <laughs> are both big Animal Crossing fans. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, Isabel, Isabel's here. <laughs> and I don't know Isabel. Isabel was not introduced till later. Yeah, till um, New Leaf on the 3DS. And now she's mates with the Doom Slayer, I see. Yes. Because Doom Eternal is coming out the same day. And I don't presume to understand what's going on, but I like it. Yes, the internet has fully embraced. I think even the Doom uh, people, I'm not sure what Nintendo has been thinking, but I think the Doom Twitter account or something has been interacting with Isabel on Twitter. (laughs) I have seen a video of Doom Eternal, and it was entitled The Doom Slayer's Bedroom, and it was basically, he's got a hub in Doom Eternal, and it just reminded me of Animal Crossing. I expected a, a gyroid to be there next to his big book of guns or something. I don't know. Yeah, you can pick up, in the last Doom game, you can pick up collectible Doom yeah, Slayer figurines. So maybe he just has them on display like little gyroids. It's basically Amiibo. Yeah, exactly. He's got his own little Doom Slayer Amiibos. We yeah. can only hope that in New Horizons there's a tent which leads to hell. You just open the flap and like, oh, no, I'm not opening that. <laughs> well, no. given your um, ability to customise stuff, you could probably make your own hellscape, design yeah. your own patterns. So that could be your first project. Maybe KK does thrash metal. If you play any of the KK songs backwards, it's actually a, it's, <laughs> it's a ritual to open up the portals. <laughs> I doubt it, though. So are we all hyped about New Horizons? So, well, to give you an indication of my interest in it, I've already purchased and downloaded it. Mm-hmm. So 
You ready to go. I'm ready to go. You can't, you just know it's there. Yeah. You can't hack into it. No. Sprint. Like, <laughs> everyone arrives on the island, is like, I'm here. <laughs> I've ruined it all for you. What is interesting is that in all the other games, there's been some online connectivity in the more recent ones, but the game is the game. And so, for example, I've never done it, but I know that people can time travel. So if you did miss an event and you really, really wanted to see what it was like, mm. you could go back to it. Mm. With this one, there's a, a high element of online connectivity and it seems to be that the events will be delivered as updates. Right. Oh, okay. And whether or not that means they're a bit like Splatoon levels and they've been, they're actually already in the code, I think, hidden in the game and they're just being unlocked by an update or whether they're actually being delivered by the internet, I don't know. But that should add a new dimension to the events, whether they're going to be truly unique or once they've released all of them, you can go back uh, and wait until next spring to experience spring in mm. the game. Because there's always been that element of connectivity, as you said, you know, sharing the same game with uh, housemates, family members, etc. You know, when they did Wild World on the DS, you know, that allowed a certain element of uh, online connectivity. With Let's Go to the City on Wii, they had the Wii Speak accessory, they which did, was yeah. something you could connect to and communicate with other players, strangers live. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> one of those things where Nintendo. You know, bless them, but when they try and do something like online connectivity and things, it's usually some very strange workaround, which is some sort of, you know, protecting the younger family members from talking to strangers online. So we very much appreciate that. Oh, what if Nintendo didn't care, though? Make things so much easier. <laughs> well, but also maybe there would have been such a reputational damage to them that uh, the entire thing would have been shut down. No, exactly. The part of the reason I've not played it in some time is, although it's supposed to be a very relaxing game, the OCD person in me really gets stressed out by it, and the completionist person in me gets stressed out by it, and how you can't capture everything, and if you miss a day, then it's gone for a year. And I'm feeling the new one might be a little bit more forgiving. But I think it gives you even more stuff to do. Oh, dear me. Well, I think the only thing we're going to have to do now, since you can't time travel in the game, is to invent actual time travel, and then take your Switch through the time portal, and you might cause some sort of cataclysmic event where you stop the dinosaurs from ever existing or something. But it'll be worth it to meet Zipper T. Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> or you can take a lesson from the game and think, actually... I've missed that thing now, but it gives me something to look forward to next year. Mm. It means that I know I've got an excuse to dip back into the game when I might, my interest might have started to fade, but I know that I've just got to catch that one last beetle or whatever it is. Yes. We're trying to make the game sound incredibly thrilling, but it is very addictive. But the film, right? So there was a film released in, is it 2006? Yes. So this would have been what era of Animal Crossing? So this would have been um, shortly after Wild World on the DS. So it doesn't have characters such as Isabel, uh, which we mentioned earlier because she was introduced in New Leaf, but it does have elements uh, of the game series up until that point and some specifically from Wild World. The film itself was, I think, only released in Japan, or at least it didn't make it sort of outside uh, to Western territories. So it's the Japanese name Dorbutsu no Mori, which is Animal Forest. So names, I guess, this, we have to perhaps establish some ground rules because <laughs> in this film, uh, spoilers for Animal Crossing, it's called Animal Village, right? I think the village that the character moves to is Animal Village. Mm-hmm. So yeah, should, we, should we call it Animal Village for ease or do we call it Animal Crossing? It's called the location Animal Village. Yes. Animal, Village. Animal Crossing 
We'll call the movie Animal Crossing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. But there's various animals throughout this which have their Japanese names mm-hmm. because it never reached the UK, and we'll do our flipping best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like for example, we watched this on subtitles, and the main character is called I. I believe. Yes. And there's just, the subtitles explained to me that it was A, B, C, D in Japanese. Does that mean, does that mean her name is, is A, effectively? Wasn't it Ai Ueo? I, I don't know. You're going to have to help <laughs> me out. Well, so, the, so shall, we, shall we give a little sort of in a nutshell sort of summary of oh, the film? Oh, right. Yes. Traditionally, we'd do a DVD box, but we don't have a DVD box. Mm. Well, I, yeah, it's, let's, um... it's the sisterly relationship between a human woman and a fashionista elephant, <laughs> and then in the last ten minutes, it turns into ET. That's yeah. the plot. Okay, that's a sort of rough, uh, rough overview. Well, the film itself was uh, we did an episode previously, uh, Professor Layton and the Eternal Diva, which was the Professor Layton film. And so this film was also uh, produced by the same animation company, OLM, who were also responsible for the Pokemon movies as well. And the director of this film was Joji Shimura, who also directed the Tamagotchi movie. Is that something That's, that exists? Is that a thing? I think there's two Tamagotchi movies, even. Oh, and um, the writer of the film, Aya Matsui, she uh, also wrote the Professor Layton movie, and also the Tamagotchi movie, as well as a bunch of Pokemon TV episodes. So... You know. Imagine having that on your CV. What what kind of films do you tend to write? They're kind of like nothing much happens type films. I don't know. No, I'm thinking a lot mean. of stuff I think, happens. Yeah. I, I'm making a presumption here because I've not seen a Tamagotchi movie. I mean, is it about a pet which sort of dies? Yeah, it just dies. Gets left in a, gets left in your locker at school and then <laughs> dies, or gets tenderly cared for for the duration of the film and has a nice happy life. Yeah, exactly. Stop bringing your uh, experiences to the Tamagotchi movie. I want to know what the longest living Tamagotchi is. I'm sure someone's still got one alive from the late 90s. Okay. Just replacing the batteries must be really, really scary. Oh, crazy. Oh, it's like doing a sort of heart operation or something. Yeah. I, you probably have to connect it to a car battery. <laughs> or something like that. Okay. This movie follows the adventures of a little girl called Ai... I means love in Japanese, oh. and she's got little love hearts on her shoes, and she's got little love hearts on her shirt and things, so I wonder if that's a thing. But also later on she encounters a boy called Yu, so I wonder if there's a sort of I and you, as in she's meant to be a surrogate for the audience member slash player, because in the game you're playing... In the game you play as a human in a village full of animals, and it's never really questioned or, or brought up necessarily that that's a human's an animal yeah you know there's, there's the thing, human thing. species i had a real problem with that concept as but then i realized oh yes human is an animal <laughs> <laughs> unless you believe in like divine right and things maybe i at one point says i am different from you because we have been gifted the gift of knowledge via god I think like, that, but yeah. we, we all got clothes on and things, say <laughs> so the animals. Yeah, I think once they, you know, they start talking and have dreams of becoming fashion designers, I think you can't really argue about... You no, know. you're not a thinking creature. <laughs> you're an elephant. Stop being sentient. Stop it. That's <laughs> <laughs> 
森の仲間たちが仲良く暮らす不思議な村そこで生まれる優しさと感動の物語動物の皆さんこんにちは劇場版動物の森雪まつりの夜に奇跡は起こる Well, it, would, it was interesting working out how, what this adaptation would be because the idea of the games is that they are fairly.、Um, there is a sort of set of goals in terms of either collecting boats and, and going fishing and also,、um, I suppose, expanding the home that you live in and so raising money for that kind of thing. In later games,、um, you are positioned as the mayor of the town, so. There's a bit more responsibility that、yeah. you have. I'm not sure what your role is in New Horizons, but it does seem that you can do far more in terms of terraforming. From, and, from and what、things. I've seen of New Horizons, I don't think you're a mayor.、Mm. I think you're just one of the first people to move to this deserted island. Pilgrim. Yeah, and exactly. And then you're, you're basically shaping it to your own desires. So it's about sort of colonization. Yeah. In the nicest possible way. <laughs> Or maybe the first animal you encounter says, Oh, I'm. I've always been here. I am the indigenous population. And then, but they're not. They're also an invader. It's fraught with all kinds of tension. I think, at best, the, and this is a, not really best at all, but <laughs> the, Tom Nook has cleansed the, the nation of whoever was there before it. So when you turn up, as far as you're concerned, it's a new Ooh, island. Perfect. Lovely soil. Yeah. Enriched by the blood of the fallen. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's the strap line actually for the game. See, I've never, I've never understood the, the hatred for Tom Nook. And in this film, the landlord of the main character, and so she's very quickly upon arrival put to work、uh, doing deliveries in order to you know, introduce herself to the other villagers as no, well no, as that, also that's, that's raise a, money you know, to pay for her lodgings. That's an evil thing to do. In If, the film, I understand that's a little bit. Mean, I suppose, but in the games, he's you know, he gives you expands your house and gives you all these lodgings with a sort of interest free loan, which you with no deadline, no deadline, you can pay back as and when. You just and, you can't believe you're defending landlords here. <laughs> I'm just saying, now of all the landlords that have ever existed, Tom Nook is actually one of the good guys, I suppose. He is a raccoon, though, and I can't be angry at raccoons. Well, he's a he's a tanuki,、mm. I guess, technically. Yeah, Sans giant scrotum though. You don't know what he's got under his apron. True. I like to see how he walks if he's like <laughs> waddling along the grass, <laughs> avoiding gravel paths conspicuously. <laughs> I do think that Tom Nook's been、uh, unfairly become a symbol of capitalism for、uh, the worst aspects of capitalism for for some internet people. Yes.、Um, so I, I would I would tentatively defend Tom Nook as well. Yeah. To say he's not all bad. You know, Tanuki are, thing, are actual creatures that do exist, so I think his, whether he has pronounced testicles or not, you can depend whether it's the folklore idea of the Tanuki or whether it's the actual creature version. But driving eye into the village is Kappen, who is a Kappa, which is a Japanese folklore creature,、right. a sort of little turtle duck monster thing who likes cucumbers. I see. I thought this was Animal Crossing, not Deity Crossing. <laughs> Full of these weird demigods. Your Kai Crossing. That's what's interesting about it is that, and the, the film does sometimes hint at this, the wider, wider, wilder world of Animal Crossing does contain these little elements of Japanese culture、mm. and other 
kind of slightly mystical, weird things. And that's mm. one of the fun things about it is that you can kind of dig things, sometimes literally dig them up from the ground um, and discover these things. But you might not ever know it if you, if you didn't bother looking up that information. And it might be things which are obvious to a Japanese audience, but not to us. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. was thrown during their festival. Was it a summer festival when everyone's dressed in kimonos? Yeah. I got really je- jealous. I wanted a kimono. Uh, I think that's very much like a very classic idea of a Japanese summer festival was fireworks, kimono, stalls selling all kinds of stuff. Mm. But actually, as um, I is sort of driven into Animal Village, as we'll, we'll make sure it's called, it did, it did remind me a little bit of Spirited Away, actually. Just the sort of, you know, when she's in the car and they have that strange tunnel and Chihiro sort of like walks through and emerges into this sort of like green pasture and... You know, then there's all these sort of, you know, spirits, yokai and stuff that she encounters. So it made me rethink what the idea of Animal Crossing is, because it's a very strange concept, because you're always playing as ostensibly a child. I imagine sort of 10, 11 years old or something, but you're moving away from home and you have letters that you write to your mum and the character in this eye, she writes home to her mum all the time. It has a sort of tinge of um, melancholy about it. And I think that sort of carries through to the games a little bit. It's not just like, here's an adventure, but there's something quite, I don't know, touching about you getting these letters from home, your mum sort of checking up on you. And the idea of I is just like, yes, I'm moving and becoming self-reliant and stuff. It's just like, you're... 10 years yeah. old. I like, <laughs> this I like this deleter scene where she just leaves with her suitcase saying, bye mum, I'm going to live in a village full of animals. <laughs> I suppose also that you're right, that the film does emphasise that she's becoming independent and self-reliant and so on, but actually the film and the game is all about existing within the, the village and mm. all the relationships with other characters. So, you know, she's always got motivations from other characters to help her, give her a sense of direction and as a player, that's also the case. But you also always know, even if you're having a bad day yourself, you can go and hang out with your animal friends yeah. and, uh, you know, have a nice time and, and get that sense of support, even if you are living independently. At home, my animal friends, our cats, um, tend to just sit on me and then shriek when it's time to f- be fed. <laughs> so that's it's a bit different. It is, yeah. Perhaps if I just design clothes for them with my own fashion, they would appreciate me more. I doubt it. If you ever tried to put a hat on a cat, you'll know that they won't. <laughs> I see cat photos online, and I'm half the time I'm thinking, "How did you actually get that? How did you have? How do you have eyes still?" Going on to what you're saying, I mean, I do feel this has a very Ghibli vibe. There's a tendency, perhaps, to with broad strokes paint so much anime as Ghibli, but I just felt this was like a, a Totoro light in terms of the pace of it and the tone of it, and I feel that. I wish I wasn't taking notes while watching this. I mean, you, uh, David, you, I've been told you watched this twice. Well, I've watched it one and a half times. One My ambition was times. to write was to watch it another half time, <laughs> another full time. But you watched it, I think, once for pleasure. Is yeah. that right? And so I myself, having not played the games much, I got to just enjoy the narrative such as it was. But for you, were you hitting upon... The, the the disconnect between the game and the and the film. I was really, to begin with, really really impressed and enjoying just how accurate the film is to the game in so many ways. So it was, if you're the kind of person who likes to watch a, a film adaptation of a game, to to notice references mm. and see the things they've got right, 
then for a good portion of the film, I was like, yes, that's the, I love that music, and yes, that's the you know the when when um, I goes to see Tom Nook and and is in the looking around his very pokey little small shop, mm. seeing the, the items for sale in the background laid out in the kind of way in the right proportions that you'd see in the game. Yes, um, like the Able Sisters um, clothes design place, the sewing place. So yeah, it's the same architecture even yeah so there's a lot to see that to enjoy from that and i did read that the film was produced in collaboration or with input from the original creators of animal crossing so Mm -hmm. you can see that you can really see that shine through but i think that's what makes it all the more bewildering when the game when the film suddenly goes off in this uh in the latter half anyway Mm. unexpected direction which Mm. involves uh white water rapids uh it involves a cave system um a giant dinosaur uh which does exist in the game but not in the scale that it does here um and then the whole sci-fi element uh, after that um and i was just like what what is going on <laughs> i was really getting i was settling down i'd had a you know busy week and i was just going to watch and enjoy um this sort of slice of life living amongst animal friends and seeing how those relationships develop is what i expected mm. but what i got was uh, an action film from, from halfway through <laughs> Yeah, because I was expecting the way it the way it starts, and while you were saying sort of Ghibli esque and things, is that I is doing these deliveries, and I thought it would be a sort of Kiki's delivery service style thing where it's her sort of just getting to know the villagers, and there's there's enough sort of subplots going on. There's the villagers that she encounters uh, from the games; they've all got their own um, relationships, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is quite accurate. The way they interact with each other, they got their friendships. Uh, you have um, Bianca, who is known in the West as Whitney, the White Wolf, and she's had a past relationship with Apollo the Eagle. Mm. And there's all this kind of tension between them. Um, and this kind of TV drama sense, yeah. like a soap opera. Um, when when that relationship is, is being shown on screen, it feels like you're watching a soap, basically. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's what I was getting at. As players of the games, these relationships will be different in your games, I'd imagine. Or does Whitney always hold a torch for Apollo? I don't know about specific interactions with specific characters, but villagers have personality types, and uh, those personality personality types are set with that particular villager. And certain personality types may clash with other personality types, while others they might um, become closer friends, or you see them more often talking to each other. So. You know, it's accurate in that respect, but I don't know specifically about these characters, like, in no. the film. I don't think there's really ever relationships in, a, in that formal sense. No, no. But characters will talk about rumours, and they'll just say things like, oh, Apollo and Bianca seem very close, or have you, you know, what's happened between those two characters? Mm. And you, you might not ever find out anything more, but there's little hints that set your imagination going. Yeah, yeah. In, in the film, though, it's there's a really profound thing said by Bianca or Whitney about Apollo, who's an eagle, who reminded me quite a lot of a mighty eagle from Angry Birds, the, <laughs> the film series we've been doing. But Bianca says this, she says, A bond between women is lovely, yes? No matter how long or how far you are separated, the next time you meet, it will be just like it was yesterday. However, a man and a woman are different. Even if it's just for one day, you can never return to how it was before. Because the sex gets in the way. 
that last bit is from when Harry met Sally, but um, <laughs> it was quite profound, I thought. And again, I, it's just, yeah, it's that rumination aspect of that Animal Crossing the game has, and this film does as well until that second half. The thing is, because I hadn't played Wild World, I didn't know necessarily, I, I understand there is some UFO element in that game, I think. Um, so I thought that was maybe part of it. But yes, when it does go into the sort of adventure territory, it did strike me as a, as a little bit odd. And it seemed like I think the film maybe wasn't sure of itself to allow just the sort of interactions because I, I really liked the relationship that I had particularly with her her closest friends who's um, Bouquet, also known as Rosie the Cat, who's very sort of intense, excitable, emotional, wears her... Self-absorbed, some yes. might say. Yes, some would say, some would say. But she wears her heart on her sleeves. And Sally the Elephant, also known as Margie, I think, in English territories... She's the one who has the dreams of becoming a fashion designer and part of the thing you do in the games is design clothes. And so that's very much in keeping with that. So I, I liked their unit mm. that, that, that they had. And yeah. It's funny because she encounters this um, boy from the uh, nearby village called Yu who's hanging out with uh, this alligator called Halbert. But uh, I think he's Alfonso in the, in the, in the West. But their sort of reaction to them because they're the sort of go-getting, adventuring type. So they're the ones who are digging up all the fossils, catching all the bugs, and doing the sort of, you know, full-on activities. So they're being boys, basically, yes. as the film pre presents. I liked that sort of attitude, just like, oh, these boys, you know, they're sort of that approach to, to Animal Crossing. But they are a bit like when you're playing Dark Souls and then <laughs> another player uh, enters your game and tries to disrupt everything. Like, uh, and digs holes in the path for no good reason, or, like or, happens in this film. Or pushes you into some blue roses, you know, yeah, this exactly. one's been carefully, designed, uh, carefully breeding. Um, I did think that it felt like those other characters, like the you character was coming in as this disruptive force and is the kind of reason why the film went off in this other mm. strange direction, although the UFO thing is slightly separate to that. あ、君たち。お、君様で。何かの化石を救出した。君の瞳に映った僕のお尻にカンパイタワーに。見つけた、見つけた、見つけた。はい。稼ぎはたた、見つけた。はい。あんま参ったな、稼ぎだ。はい
The town hall wasn't in Animal Crossing originally, mm-hmm. so that was introduced for this game. Um, the watering can we see a character use, and uh, I use, that was introduced for Wild World. <laughs> Going to the roost and meeting Brewster, that was introduced in Wild World. Getting a message in a bottle, that was released as part of the online connectivity okay. in Wild World. Um, being able to change hat and wear accessories, like dressing up as a ninja or a caveman or anything else, that was introduced in Wild World. Because in the earlier games, you were sort of in this weird, like, Viking helmet or some sort of, like, pyramid hat and, yeah. and stuff, yeah. But you couldn't you couldn't change your facial hair, for example. Mm, mm. Being able to challenge other uh, villagers to um, a bug-catching competition, which is what Yu's doing with his, with his Alfonso. Celeste, in the museum, was introduced in Wild World. Mm-hmm. And the UFO is simply, you know, Gulliver who washes up on the shore. Yeah. Uh, in this this scenario, in this in Wild World, for some reason he's in a UFO, and that's probably to do with the, the slingshot. So the slingshot is introduced in Wild World as a new mm-hmm. item. You need things to shoot down with it, balloons, and a UFO is one of them. Okay. Uh, so there must be all these audiences buzzing like the the, the watering can, the watering can is here. <laughs> well, either it's it's. Building on the success of Wild World and showcasing all that that's great about it, or mm. it's another excuse, you know, for any GameCube players who haven't picked up Wild World yet, watch this film and go, "Wow, look at all these things I could do." <laughs> and then, Flagrant advertising. Well, that's why I was when I first watched it. That's what I assumed it was. It was only when I went back and found out it was released after the game mm. because of the game's success that I felt a little bit more charitable towards it. <laughs> I guess yeah, there's it's one of those things. If you, in the process of adaptation, how much of it is just cross-media promotion and how much of it is just no there's a strong message that we want to put into a sort of cinematic form and I imagine this is maybe slightly closer to the sort of promotional aspect of it you know the sort of the film is effectively um, an extension of the merchandising capabilities. Yeah, you can also um, see Animal Crossing everywhere on toys, on clothes, in the cinema, that sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, we, I know it comes right at the end, but maybe we should talk a little bit about it here. Because what happens is, this eye gets messages in the bottle, and she and it implies something's going to happen at the Winter Festival. And I find it interesting how she kept these messages. And the bottles on her shelf, which looks like the sprites, the icons from the game. Mm. But but really, who, it's taking taking up a lot of shelf space. <laughs> these bottles with messages in. I would actually take out the messages and could do and do something useful in the bottles. But I love that that's what you're taking away from <laughs> the UFO element of this. Yeah, that's great. The on the day of the festival, a UFO does crash and out pops. Is it a what kind of bird is it? A seagull. A seagull. Mm. With a space helmet, but his beak is coming out of the space helmet, yeah. so he can breathe the atmosphere, <laughs> which seems a bit redundant. But that was when the first, my first thought was, hmm, maybe he's not an alien. But everyone says he's an alien, and he says he's going to go, everyone has to go and collect parts, and they bring the parts back. And then actual aliens show up, and then an actual, what I'm really confused by is at the end, the seagull, he, he you know, he, he leaves... And it seems to have been like a massive coincidence because the seagull is saying my plan to convince everyone I was an alien kind of backfired because actual aliens showed up. What are the odds? He said he wanted it so people would think he was cool. What? <laughs> I don't you know that's like the coolest thing you could do is you pretend to be an alien. Showing up somewhere and saying I'm an alien and I'm cool and like, oh my god he's so cool he's an alien. 
And maybe he, maybe he got dissected, is what I'm saying. Maybe <laughs> they'd call in the um, FBI, and you know, he ends up on the operating theatre. And it's just Sky looks a lot like a seagull, <laughs> but still, <laughs> need to be sure. I guess he's an accident-prone character. And what bigger accident can you have than a shipwreck than your spaceship S- crashing? A spaceship wreck. I yeah. thought he was trying to do a scam. I thought he was going to try and get them to get space cash or something. In the games, because he washes up on shore, usually. And... Oh, is this the seagull? Gulliver? Yeah, Gulliver. Yeah. Oh, right. So he's a character... So you, you were clued in. I thought it might have been an alien for some of it. No, so he's he's an intrepid explorer, but he always seems to get lost en route and washes up on shore, and then you have to work out exactly where he was meant to be, and then he'll send you something in the mail, a sort of souvenir of that of that location. But in this film, he has this sort of... The way he speaks is like a kind of thinly veiled attack, I think, on foreigners speaking Japanese, because oh, his nice. pronunciation is very like, Watashi wa! And it's all, <laughs> um, every now and then he drops in English, you know, says like the, the word five, or hello, or oh no! And it yes. just sort of seems like, I don't know, the character of him is like this person who's gone exploring and uh, I don't know, maybe this Gulliver is meant to be an English speaker attempting Japanese or or something, but you're meant to have this idea that he's a seasoned traveller, I suppose, or maybe he is pretending to be an alien and is just not speaking correctly. I guess the question is, are the residents of Animal Village stupid (laughs) or not? Is is he trying to, is he convincing in the world of this film? I'm not sure. They run off to help him right away. Yeah, but maybe they just want to get rid of him. Yes. Because <laughs> he's a weirdo. <laughs> That'd be the quickest way. But yeah, it's it's strange that, you know, they find these spare parts and one of the parts, there's an extra part, basically, and it turns out it's a drobby metal alien and uh, returns to its sort of mothership up in the sky. But yeah, it's definitely an, a peculiar climax to what was going on previous. It'd be like if... I don't know, Little Women had fucking, you know, Stargate at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a sort of um, from dusk till dawn mid-movie switch. <laughs> I mean, it's not, as video games go, it's not unusual for a video game to have just just aliens in it for some yeah, reason. Like yeah. um, in Majora's Mask, there's a whole subplot uh, side quest with aliens coming and stealing cattle from one of the farms and <laughs> oh, I forgot do an all-night yeah. vigil to, to fend them off. And then, you know, Fallout... For example, Fallout 3, there's a whole DLC with mm. aliens crashing. And in films, there's just aliens everywhere all the yeah. time, isn't there? So it kind of... From that perspective, you can you can say, oh, it kind of And kind after of this point, no one talks about it. If aliens arrived here, I'll be depressed to think that if aliens arrived in real life, we just carried on like a week later. So yeah, well, I, knew, I knew there'd be aliens. <laughs> I knew it. The universe is too big. So like, I, I knew that. Well, maybe maybe the world of, of uh, Animal Crossing and, and Animal Village is, um, you know, bizarre stuff happening quite a lot of the time. And maybe that's not that unusual. I guess if you're talking to sentient animals, sentient ducks and cats and eagles all the time, you'd be a little bit blasé if an alien showed up and it looked like a seagull. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we'd expect aliens if they came. There could be of all kinds of forms. What's to think in their alien home world that... Birds are not the dominant species and, you know, sentient and talking. Oh, just imagine if aliens arrived and they were like giant guinea pigs. You would be like, oh, so cute. Says, do not, we are not cute. Do not touch my cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would eat that carrot, though. <laughs> Big carrot. Are you a 
Yes! I... Hello, Chikyu. Chikyu no minasan hajime mashite. Nanka uso boitaki. Ah, 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 帰れないと私の命は。Oh no! どうしましょう。Right, so that's the ending sorted. Um, the rest of the film. Well, so the the ending that sort of takes place in the winter festival, and so just like the games, the the film it takes place over the course of a year, so we get to see the seasons change in the in the animal village, and I like how that's represented. So once summer hits, you get the sort of sound of the cicadas. You know, in the trees, and that's very reminiscent of the games and the way the trees, you know, change their colours and stuff. And the whole games, you know, rely on the daily activities and and things. You know, you, you're not supposed to sort of play five hours of Animal Crossing in one sitting or anything. You you check in every day,、mm-hmm. talk to your villagers, you know, keep in touch with things. And there's the seasonal events which take place. So. I think the structure of the film was nice and how it sort of encapsulated the structure of the games and in that respect, but there's all these kind of subplots going on. So while I is sort of befriending villagers, you have different characters with their own agendas. So you have Mayor Tortimer in the film known as Kotobuki, and his main goal is to get re-elected, and it, it's a bit of a challenge because no one really recognises him. It seems or pays attention to him. I think it's that. I think it's no one cares. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's that's the the kind of joke of it.、Um, without wanting to spoil it, but obviously at the end, it turns out the only person who's voted for him is him. Yeah. But all the way through the, the through the film, he is encountering other characters and trying imploring them to vote for him.、Mm. Um, and it's not that they don't like him. I think it's just like they think, well, he's just going to be mayor. So that's things quite are, a sort of sad idea, though. Things are going pretty well, though.、Change. I mean, it is a sort of utopian society where no one's really that. Put out. There's no homeless people in Animal Crossing or Animal Village, as I'm aware of. So everyone's kind of like happier how things are. So I suppose if we ever got to a position where we didn't, nobody bothered to vote, then things would be better. Maybe I don't know. I did write my notes. How I did. I did. No. I, <laughs> yeah. Giving up on your.、Uh, no, I wrote in my notes actually the ending where no one cared enough to vote was one of the most depressingly real bits of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was interesting that not even I bothered to vote. No. no. Uh, he tries his best to campaign throughout the film, including sort of having fireworks of his face and his face adorning the town hall and, and decorations. Question: Who else was in in contention? In, in the contention, who else was in the running? Don't know. I mean, I mean、yeah. I, I is upset at that point because Sally has moved away, and that's a that's a big thing of Animal Crossing when people you like move away. And I don't often think this, but I thought if they had mobile phones. Then it would be a lot easier because she could have texted I to say she was going. But no, she later on Sally writes a letter back to I, doesn't she? I mean, here's the thing we've not really talked about at all. We've not mentioned cherry pies yet, and、no. this film is all about dreams. It's about pursuing your dreams and finding your dream. If you don't know what your dream is, and 
everything about dreams is is wrapped up in the uh, entirely in the pastry case of a of a cherry pie. It's about finding your cherry pie. They say yes. They shake cherries from the cherry tree. That's finding. That's making your pie. The cherries are the uh, the fruit of the village, which only grows in that village. Like the games, you have a sort of special fruit only you can grow, so that encourages exchanges between villages. So how and resentment. And resentment. Your own fruit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like, if you don't like cherries and you're sick of the sight of them in your trees, then you're lumped with them, unfortunately. Good. Sally and I bond over cherries, and cherry pie becomes a metaphor of following your dreams. I mean, all this talk of coffee in this film and cherry pies have got real Twin Peaks vibe <laughs> off this. Well, you know, I didn't want to bring it up, but as you have, when they uh, when the note comes through from from the aliens or whoever it is who's sending the note saying to look above the pines, the, mm. above oh, yeah. the pine forest. I was like, pine forest, cherry pie. <laughs> what is, what's going on here? Yeah, because she's tasked with planting even more pine trees to make the sort of Twin Peaks manifest itself. Oh, gosh, I'm sure... What's the place called in Twin Peaks? The Red Room? The, that, that's one the of Lodge. The, the, the Black, Black Lodge. lodge. The Black Lodge, lodge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm going to make a Black Lodge in Animal Crossing. <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure you can you design... You the first, but by all means. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine so. You have like a gyroid dancing in the corner, <laughs> a statue, and then a strobe light or something. I'll be honest, I found the whole cherry pie analogy very confusing when in the i don't know if it's because of the, the fan sub we were watching it felt like what it was talking about was shifting it was actually only once i had read the synopsis afterwards i went oh yeah that's of course yes dreams okay right oh you got it now i get it but i i, I honestly didn't get it to start with yeah because I, I guess because they do mix whether it's metaphor and literal because they sort of say yes like follow your cherry pie follow your dream but then i does write to her mum saying I'd like you to send me a cherry pie recipe so I can literally make a cherry pie. Yeah. But then they don't actually even eat any cherry pie in the film. They have a birthday cake. I can't remember them actually... can't remember actually seeing a physical cherry pie. There was a drawing of a cherry pie. Yeah. But I'm going to find my cherry pie now. <laughs> I'm going to follow my dreams. My dream will begin and end with cooking a cherry pie and eating it. But <laughs> it's good to have set yourself achievable goals. Exactly. Yeah. Pie, I think pie based goals. Pie based goals. Yeah, so there's there's all sorts of other characters which which make an appearance. So you have uh, we mentioned the Able Sisters, um, they uh, I encounters Mr. Rossetti, who is um, a notorious character in the games i think he the deserves... angriest man at nintendo basically yeah, I, I don't know why people hate tom nuke and tolerate mr rossetti there was a uh, when the... you, you invoke rossetti by your own ill deeds yeah in the new leaf game if you um when i first got it on the day of release um in the instructions i was sort of reading the on you know the manual which comes with the online manual as it were and it it sort of warns parents that mr rossetti has a sort of surly behavior and you know, please do not be alarmed if Mr. Rossetti shows up in your child's game. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's meant to remind them to save before closing. You know. he's, some of my favourite bits in this film, though, is when Rossetti just appears out of a hole screaming at the camera when someone's <laughs> digging for fossils. There's also an appearance by Pascal, the that sea That was one water, of my favourite parts I wanted to mention, yeah. Uh, who is voiced by Takashi Miike. <laughs> prolific, <laughs> a prolific Japanese film director, who's made a cameo appearance in No More Heroes 2, playing himself. I see. Um, but I know mostly for extremely violent films. Yeah, well, I mean, he also directed The Phoenix Wright, 
movie as well, the live-action Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney movie. Um, and he does dabble in, in kids' films and manga adaptations and all sorts, so he's not just known for bloody violent uh, gangster and samurai movies too. But yeah, it's a it's a strange encounter with a strange character. This is not the walrus we're talking about. Uh, no, that's Wendell. This is Pascal the Sea Otter who Tortimer bumps into. It's during... During an action scene, so I really enjoyed it because it was there's the, the the rapids in the cave, and then it cuts away to to this peaceful sunset, mm-hmm. and Tortimer appears and is standing out looking over the, over the water and, and watching the sunset, and ne- and so is Pascal, and so Tortimer does his whole "Would you vote for me?" thing, and Pascal <laughs> just 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 looks off into the distance, and then Tortimer uh, starts getting grumpy and actually shows the that cloud of smoke like in the game yeah they, when when Tortimer first meets I he goes through like a full gamut of different emotions so when they're happy all the flowers start appearing around yeah. them and when they feel like someone has like uh sort of said something uh wrong or or whatever they have like uh, a chill and leaves kind of blow <sighs> past them and things so Would that be useful to have in real life I think it probably would show your hand. Yeah, I think that's maybe a bit... Yeah, Like, I wouldn't go, want to go for a job interview. And um, at the summer festival, there's Crazy Red, who is the sort of kitsune fox, who's a little bit of a swindler, who's mm-hmm. um, selling golden slingshots for three and a half thousand bells when he's got a whole crate of them stashed out back. So I think that's in keeping with the character. I think you also see during the festival in the background, you have Dr. Shrunk, uh, the axolotl yeah. comedian. I was really hoping we might actually see an appearance from him, but it's just just there. Yeah, just in the background. Lyle from Happy Home Academy mm-hmm. and Sahara, the uh, wandering uh, camel uh, wallpaper slash carpet seller. But I guess also at the summer festival, one of the big stars is KK Slider. Yes. So Totakeke, as he's known in Japan, based on Kazumi Totaka, who is Nintendo sound designer and composer. And I read that he also provides voices for characters like Yoshi and Shy Guy and Birdo in Mario okay. series. The film music, the score is much of it is just lifted directly from the game, sort of nicely arranged in yeah. a different way. But the big highlight of the summer festival is a performance by K.K. Uh, Slider, and it's K.K. Bossa. He's got this normal speaking voice. Mm-hmm. Very, um, very nice and smooth. Yeah, but Quite then... deep, you might say. Yeah. I mean, I, did you find it weird to have, how they all spoke Japanese in this film and they didn't all speak like Sims people? I, I think the the voice casting was fairly spot on, I think. I didn't get sort of a sort of... That doesn't I, sound like Nook. I didn't get a disconnect in terms of how, you know, they speak that blah, 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 and the actual, you know, spoken, <laughs> actual spoken dialogue. I thought it was quite well done, but it's but the disconnect happens when they just play K.K. Bossa and he sounds, he sings as he does in the game with lyrics yeah. at the bottom, which was a nice surprise, but it's just a really lovely tune. I thought it was hilarious when the voice changed <laughs> because... It is jarring because he he's a cool he's a cool mm. dude and it only reinforced how funny it is that that he's supposed to have this suave persona and then immediately like just shifts. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> his thing though. That's his style. That's his singing voice. It's the sort of thing you don't really get nowadays. But I think in the eighties when there were a lot more comedy albums, and yeah, a lot more top of the pops where people sing. I don't know. Is it what's that Green Bird called? Um, Oh yeah, Orville. 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 Yeah, I can imagine he's just Orville. 
um, in but Animal the, Crossing. The point of Orville was that he could speak, or at least okay, it was yeah, ventriloquism. More of a sweep situation from Sooty and Sweep, I think. Yeah. As opposed to a Sue who's completely articulate while Sooty remains mute. I do find KK quite an enigma because you can't really find him outside his musical shows. I think you can sometimes in the game... Sometimes he pops up uh, for a coffee at yeah. Brewster's. That's right. Because KK Bosser is Sally's favourite song, when she does move mm-hmm. away, uh, I goes and drowns her sorrows in Brewster's coffee and KK Bosser comes on the stereo. There's this moment where she has this montage of memories she had with Sally and Brewster yeah, says, sweet. I'm sure that Sally is listening to the same song right now. And it's, it's, it's very sweet and touching and, and sad, actually. But until... Bianca sort of yeah. laughs in her face and yeah. says, Ah, stop acting so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bianca's not so But yeah, speaking of the sort of um, action sequence, which we sort of talked around, but mm. I guess as you say, it does sort of create a, a, a shift in terms of the film because you and Alfonso, they're looking for fossils and they keep digging up the gyroids um, yes. instead. I should just say, I found that quite a funny thing to happen. So unknown to me until very recently, but known to... A Japanese audience that gyroids are haniwa, which are traditionally buried with, well, they're buried in people's graves mm-hmm. and they're little statuettes. And so, if you were digging, looking for fossils, and you realised you were accidentally digging up some people's graves, would you go, "Oh no, <laughs> I've just dug up someone else's grave"? Well, I'll just carry on digging here anyway and see if I can find any fossils. Or would you go, "Oh no, I've dug up someone's grave. I'd better stop digging here." Well, has anyone told else? them? That they're graves. Well, he he says it. Oh, it's another Honeywell. So they must they must Mm. know they must know what they're doing. And the thing is, it's not they're like they're your traditional grave robbers because they don't keep digging and then looking for human fossils or human skeletons or animal skeletons. Well, I guess dinosaurs are kind of just animal skeletons, but you know, uh, the original villages. Yeah, the original villages. Time plus. Tragedy equals comedy fossils. equals fossils at the museum. Um, in Zootopia, which is another animal-based complex with no humans, but there's a museum sequence in well, Zootopia, Zootropolis. There's a sequence where we go to a museum, and I really want to have a human skeleton in there, yeah. which would open up all sorts of questions about how it might be a, set in a post-apocalypse. Well, Splatoon also has that underlying history in the background because you're playing just as squids, and all the other characters are octopi or, or other sea-based creatures apart from a cat or two. Um, but there's all these sort of underlying hints that this is sort of a post-apocalyptic water world style... Certainly post-human. Yeah, yeah, sort of scenario. And sometimes you, like, every now and then characters might drop a phrase about, you know, humans that lived sort of 
hundreds of years ago and whether they're, you know, oh, I was hoping to see some skeletons and human skeletons in the museum or something like that. Just adds like a kind of layer of dystopian chill to what is effectively a, a just rather day-glow fun game. I mean, it's all worth it because there's an, my favourite bit is an angry anteater trapped in a hole yelling, why is a hole here really loudly? <laughs> so, you know. But yeah, so that they... Uh, discover that uh, there's a whole bunch of fossils in this cave and they go on a on a quest by boat into the cave and encounter these rapids but that's very much that's not something that really feels part of the game it harkens back to the time when all rivers ended in a waterfall in films yes. and tv well actually what bothered me most about this the second viewing once so the first time I watched it I was just like what the hell this isn't a location from the game this isn't <laughs> something you can do in the game yeah. why are they doing you know that I was over that this time round, but the second time round, I thought, why wasn't Cap'n driving that boat? Yeah. Because they could have had a brilliant sea shanty opportunity there. Yeah. One of the best things about c- catching a method of transport in Animal Crossing is mm. Cap'n telling you a sad story or a funny story and singing you a song. And rather than just having you pushing everyone on the boat and then and then driving it through, they could have had Cap'n sing them a song along the way and then still d- done the whole rapids and everything. But actually, they could have also had Cap'n giving them a warning saying... You don't want to get go into those caves. You don't those want to get are lost. The death caves. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to get lost in those caves, kids. Yeah. You know, I'm going to stay here and wait for you while you go in or something. And they could have given you that Nintendo bit of security. Mm. Maybe that was why. Maybe they wanted it to feel more risky. Yeah, I think Cap'n could have sorted that out. No problem. Right. He's too yeah. experienced. They find this ginormous skeleton, a seismosaurus, I think it's called. And uh, rather than getting actual scientists to try and dislodge it, I think they try and dislodge it themselves. <laughs> And with, you know, inevitable results. Yeah, it causes the cave to collapse. But um, it's only a little bit. Yeah. It just they, blocks, the, blocks the way in. There is some genuine peril, though, when um, they return to that cave, because that's where one of the UFO parts has found itself uh, stuck on the top of the seismosaurus skeleton's skull. Uh, you, in a bunny costume, yep. uh, climbs all the way up to the top, and grabs it, and then sort of falls down, and I got a real sense of scale, the size I, I of this really cavern. I was through that whole thing, and I didn't want to be yeah, while watching I, Animal I, Crossing film. I, I, I assumed he wouldn't fall to his death. No, no. But I also thought when he was falling, how is he going to survive? <laughs> I was just thinking, this is how you want to die, you, in a bunny costume, <laughs> in A&E. Um, <laughs> he goes to have his body identified, and his parents like, our son's not a rabbit. You've got the wrong guy. <laughs> so, any other villagers to mention? Any other characters that we enjoyed seeing? I mentioned the walrus earlier. Oh, Wendell? Yeah. So, like, I's feeling a bit depressed and encounters a walrus who says he's so hungry he can't move. But as soon as she mentions she has food at home, he, he gets their lickety splits. And I thought, gosh, this is... um. This is what you do on a Saturday night at Animal Crossing. You watch a, a, a glutton eat your own food. Your onigiri or uh, jelly donuts if you're a fan of Pokemon. Well, it wasn't like <laughs> rice balls yeah, or something. Yeah. She ate her own rice ball and went, oh, so good. And then he, he still ate the rest. And then he pissed off. He disappeared. Uh, Hopper the penguin who spends the whole film waiting for that big catch. And... Accurately reflecting the experience of many intrepid Animal Crossing fishers who are excited about something they found at the end of the line, mm-hmm. yoink it up, and it's an old boot or yeah. another random assortment of funny objects. 
probably gets pretty pissed off though because aren't you supposed to eat everything you catch when you're going fishing so he has he had to eat a bicycle yeah like uh what was that <laughs> french um metal eater man what was he called monsieur metal man <laughs> monsieur metal man there was a famous and ripley's believe it or not guinness book of records guy who used to eat i think he ate a whole plane once not all at the same time but gradually over years I don't think he's alive anymore. I don't think he's alive anymore. No. Possibly due to metal intake. Yeah, I can imagine that he walked past an electromagnet one day and he went straight into the scrap yard. I don't know why I was imagining a jet then when he said plane. I just think he could have eaten a small plane and maybe that's not quite so outlandish. I was yeah, I imagined a jumbo jet as well. Pete, <laughs> like, you know, eating a clip from the belt. And that's why like, they banned yeah. Concords because they found they were dangerous to eat. <laughs> but delicious. Um, but delicious. <laughs> oh, so delicious. What I liked about the villagers and, and maybe it was a little bit lost with the subtitling as well, but I think it explained it anyway, was that certain villagers would say something at the end of their sentence and much like in the games, usually a character will have a little catchphrase or something that they, a little tag that they say at the end of their sentence. And I think Alfonso said like wani, which means like crocodile. And you have the little a chimp, I think called Champ, walking around and he's going uki, uki, uki the whole time. And I think he's that's... a fitness freak. Yeah. He was yeah. a very, very entertaining character to watch just as a <laughs> purely visual character. Whatever's happening, whether it's sinkholes or whether it's uh, huge fleets of snow, that's not going to stop him from just doing his doing his training. Duracell-style durability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Again, this is a question for you two who are Animal Crossing heads. Um, I think when you're adapting this particular franchise, were there characters you wish were in this village? Because I think mm. I was writing my notes here, how much you like this film kind of depends on how much you enjoy I as a character because if you found her intensely irritating then I think you'd just find the whole thing very boring but also I suppose if your favourite character wasn't there that might be a bit depressing I guess they had a good mix of different villagers um, they had a mix of different types in this film so I think it is representative of the kind of villagers that you might encounter because you never know who you're going to get and then people move out and move into your village all Imagine the time. if this film changed who was in it every time you watched it. It was like, <laughs> it would be appropriate. You could do that for a modern adaptation. It'd yeah. Crazy good. But I, I wonder if because of this film certain villagers are now more fan favourites compared to others because they have an existence outside of the games. Maybe. I don't know. Do you have a favourite villagers that you would have liked to have seen? When I'm playing the games, I've always got favourites and people I don't like. Um, but weirdly, recently, I've been trying to remember who they are and I can't really pin them down. Mm. And you're exactly right that there's different types of the villager. And I think that's what this film represents really well. And I also thought it really represented, because they are quite shallow characters, quite two-dimensional, that actually translates quite well to cameo or short appearances in a film, you don't need to have too much depth to them. Mm. One thing that did confuse me, though, was Alfonso the alligator um, couldn't swim. In, <laughs> oh, in the cave yeah. system, he's like, help, I can't swim! And I was like, <laughs> but you're an alligator. That's racist to assume that all crocodiles and alligators can swim. In though the, yeah, I was just I'm... racist by calling him a crocodile, so... Do any of the other villagers swim in the games? Because I know you can if you get a wetsuit. And you can go diving. And obviously Pascal, the sea otter, is bobbing around sometimes. 
That's a good question. But in I'm the not world sure. with Animal Crossing, maybe animals can't necessarily swim. Maybe you know birds can't necessarily fly. I noticed um, the postal birds flew in this film, but I, I don't think they fly in the games. No, they do. That's they how, do. That's a great advantage of being a postal oh, worker. God, they're, they're, <laughs> the haves and have-nots in Animal Crossing, those who can fly. I bet there's just a... Isn't there a coffee place called the Pelican... No, the Pigeon Roost? Brewster's Roost. Brewster's yeah. Roost. Yeah. Imagine if it was only accessible by flight. That'd be a whole upper echelon of society. I'm just saying that maybe future Animal Crossing games could really go into the class divisions do you think we find. Do you think birds are the elites? The intellectual elites? Because you have they... like owls and Brewster in the museum slash cafe. But they don't occupy local government office. Because that's... Well, I know they do. Because you have Pelly and her sister. It's only Tortimer who is the non-bird in the town hall. That's true. Well, yeah. Again, tortoises tend to live the longest as well. So perhaps, as I alluded to earlier, he was just the first one here and has, just, has told everyone that to- only tortoises can be mayor. <laughs> and then when he dies, there's like a secret room at the back of his office which reveals that it was all built on lies and they're all living inside a GameCube. <laughs> <laughs> because when I started to get messages in the bottle I assumed just for a little bit that it was from the gamer playing the game when it was wow. going to go into all sort of the... it was going to be like a reboot situation yeah like the fourth dimension or some such nonsense but uh, no it wasn't trying to be that I don't think it really wanted to rock the boat this film um, like I said I did not expect this film to turn into a sci-fi movie <laughs> right at the end I guess we'll talk about the sort of very end once the alien has returned to its mothership, they create... Bring, sorry, to, to bring back, like, War of the World-style travesty. That was their scout. <laughs> they are ripe for conquest. They've got cherries. Now they've got cherries now. They know where the cherries live. And also because it's like a sort of morphing metal blob and it makes a, a version of Eye's head or something in order to kind of communicate. The whole Winter Festival is about who can decorate the best... And I wins because she got aliens to create her face in the sky through stars. And I'm thinking, God, next year's winner is going to have to, like, nuke the moon or something <laughs> to win the trophy. During the credits, we sort of catch up with how things have been going, particularly with Sally, who um, returned for the Winter Festival. And uh, she has been inspired by the um, celestial nature of the the Winter Festival. And she's created a special uh, constellation design, which becomes so popular that all the people in the village wear it, much to... Tortimer's confusion because he's clearly not keeping up with the latest fashion trends. I kind of thought that maybe you'd see an appearance by Gracie the giraffe or something maybe that she was working for her but I don't think I saw that. My partner Ho was watching with me and uh, yeah we both wondered if Gracie would make an appearance. Grace us with her presence. Yes if only I'd said that. (laughs) And one thing Earlier you were talking about how the game represents the changing of the seasons and shows a year of Animal Crossing. One thing the film didn't do 
is show the evolution of the village. So mm. usually when you play Animal Crossing, your presence there feeds into the local economy and so things evolve. One thing that evolves is Tom Nook's store that goes through various different iterations and eventually becomes a department store which mm. can have other things in it like Gracie Grace sort of fashionista's high-end boutique where you can buy outrageously expensive costumes, pieces of clothing, should you pass A, pass Gracie's fashion check, and B, uh, tolerate being sniffed at for even bothering to turn up in the shop. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know whether she was... She must have been in the games and Wild World at this time, I thought maybe? so. But, you yeah. know. I think you have highlighted, though, David, a very interesting point because in the game you are naturally the most important person in the universe you are the player even if you're even if you're playing it with other people um you are still your village you are the mayor you're the mover and the shaker and if i in a film arrives and she immediately starts building libraries and things (laughs) without the mayor's permission i think that would be a little bit hard to explain in a story. If she comes here and she's working on the bottom rung of the ladder and you know, right away she's chopping down trees and creating town squares. It's um I don't know how you'd fit that into a narrative. I think they've done well enough with what they've they've given us, to be honest. Well given the new powers that you have in New Horizons to build waterfalls and um decide where other villagers go and, and all that kind of stuff, I wonder whether you know you become maniacal with power by the end of it being set on an island i'm fully expecting it to go lord of the flies (laughs) towards the end i I would say having understood more of the animal crossing hardcore fans now some of them are already maniacal with power straight away (laughs) and have been yearning for this kind of control so I'm, i'm not surprised that or i think i think they'll be very happy that nintendo have given players who I think it's only once you've unlocked it at the end of the game or once you've played it for a long time mm. to get those abilities to have complete control over every aspect rather than having to restart your town again and again or go through elaborate ways of trying to stop block uh, characters from building new properties. Yes. Maybe you get too much power though. You shouldn't give the fans everything they want because then they'll start making waterfalls in real life <laughs> and doing all sorts of crazy things. <laughs> If you see people walking down the street wearing nothing but an apron with a Mario M on the front of it. And a shovel. And a shovel. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen some, If you see someone walking down the street with a shovel, I'd be a bit un, 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 perturbed. A bit perturbed. We haven't even talked about, though, how the Mario, the iconic Mario M is present and correct throughout this film. Mm-hmm. At Crocodile Alligator, he's just wearing a Mario M. And I was like, dude, look, your tum-tum. It's Super Mario. But also, then... yeah, I noticed that the number plate on the taxi was, had, was DS. Oh, oh, I didn't see that. Something for the fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess other little touches I liked when it's the winter festival, you see a snowman, which is like identical to the snowman you make uh, in the game. But even things like you see the little leaf logo everywhere, like the branding in the, of the game and... Even when she first goes into the town hall for the first time, there's a little bell that rings, and it just reminded me how when you enter any kind of building, like it will do a little ring of a bell based on a uh, a little composition that you've made to make as your sort of town anthem. So those little touches, I I, I really appreciated and just added to the the general overall feel of Animal Crossing as represented in the film. 
so I guess it's the the big question we had when we we're approaching an Animal Crossing movie is how do you make an Animal Crossing movie? And I think we alighted on the fact it's just the tone of it, isn't it? It's the feeling you get. I, as I said, I wish I hadn't been writing notes during this because I think I would enjoy this film a lot more having it just wash over me. And I think it's a perfect background movie if it actually had a dub. So as a minor fan of the franchise, but someone is getting really hyped about it, I, I did still enjoy it. I think it was just a very nice hot chocolate of a movie with, um, I guess the marshmallows would be the science fiction section. <laughs> yeah, take him or leave him. Mm. Yeah, I think the film is it very much captures what Animal Crossing is to the uninitiated to an extent. It is a rather slight film, but I think that's in keeping, I suppose, with the games. So I, I wonder how much there is there for those who have no concept of Animal Crossing you know whether that's there's enough for them to uh, sink their teeth into i do wonder if that's partly what the action sequences are, are there for because mm. i think by that point in the film if you're not a fan of animal crossing you're not going to be appreciating the many many accurate references there are <laughs> um, and you probably want something to start happening and that's where it goes off in this other direction but it is quite gripping in its own way mm. um, even though i personally it's not really what I wanted from an Animal Crossing <laughs> yeah. film. Adventure? Excitement? <laughs> I don't like this. Yeah. I want, me. I wonder whether that's the moment they timed it. It's so that in the cinema, it's the point at which the parents wake up. Because right. suddenly there's lots of shouting and, and screaming and things. And it's sort of like, oh, okay, you know, I should probably, you know, pay attention to the film my kids are watching. I mean, Ho, who was watching it with me fell asleep before the action sequence and uh -huh. completely missed all that. Okay. And I was telling her about it, she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you missed the aliens showing up. <laughs> what, out of their chests? What? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, they encountered these eggs which have been left around in the, <laughs> in in the, the forest. <laughs> in the cave, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them grabs onto Yu's face and they take him back to... Um... They think it's a hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so David, your thoughts then on the film... I've been really, really curious about it, obviously being an Animal Crossing fan for a long time, and it had a reputation for being this very, very relaxing film that I'd seen other people um, in their reviews say. Um, and so I was I was just taken aback in the first watch of the sudden change. As you mm. can tell, I'm still reeling from it slightly. <laughs> but actually, watching it again and thinking about it some more, I feel more warmly towards the film overall. I think it is a jarring experience to see that... Um, new plots and, and new action sequence and so on but all the other ways in which it stays true to the game I think actually are really nice and it's it was a, it's a children's film it's not designed for me mm, mm. so I can appreciate the decisions they made along the way probably but it, I wouldn't say it's an amazing film I think if you're an Animal Crossing fan it's well worth finding a way across eventually and having a look but yeah. just don't set your expectations too high well we've dealt with so many films which seem to go out of their way to really annoy fans of the game. Yeah. So by that small token, it's probably on the upper tier of video game movies. Yeah, so I'm curious. I've got a question for you. You're both experts now in watching <laughs> game uh, adaptations into films. What do you think that people want from a game adaptation in a, in a movie? Is it a recreation of the story accurately, which is very hard to do in a, in a game like Animal Crossing? 
Is it the characters getting to know them better or seeing them in a new light? Is it the feel of playing? Or is it just recognising everything and pointing at it and going, oh, it's the sound effect. Oh, it's that object. <laughs> I think this film has a little bit of all those things in a, in a, in a way. But it, it, I think it's always dependent on the source material. And part of the reason uh, we wanted to do this podcast is because uh, video game movies have a reputation and uh, people always say, is this the first time there'll be a good video game movie? And actually, we would argue there are examples that have existed since their inception, I, I suppose, since the first adaptation. But that's why we sort of try and focus on the positive aspects and where adaptations, the, the, the films where they've tried to do something um, with the source material... And sometimes they, you know, reach for the stars and fail. And sometimes they go for the lowest common denominator and succeed. But is that as satisfying as, you know, uh, admirable failure? Mm. What we look for, at least what I look for, is a compelling film in its own right. And if it has those little elements which um, relate to the games, then I appreciate that. But... When it gets too Easter eggy, that's when I think it's actually distracting. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's all sorts of ways you can adapt uh, all sorts of material, but ultimately it's whether the film itself works outside of the, outside of the context. Mm. I think you're trying to recreate a feeling. Um, I happened to write my university dissertation on video game movies, so I thought at length about... Um, what you're trying to recreate. And I think Rory touched upon it a little bit. If you just recreate the sights of uh, a video game, then it's um, a fool's errand. And you, you you can have Lara Croft being there, but unless you feel the same feeling you get playing the games, then it's, it's just window dressing. Um, I'm a big fan of the Street Fighter movie now, but I think everyone's barrier when first seeing the film is how you're seeing people who look identical to Ryu and Ken and Honda and all this stuff but it's not a street fighter movie it is not a it's only it's not in the least bit about street fighting there is a fight in it but it is as we discovered really a G.I. Joe movie in disguise it was created to promote Hasbro's G.I. Joe toys which are very action movie type toys a more successful adaptation seems to be Mortal Kombat because all fighting games when they were created were really just recreations of Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. It's about a multi-ethnic group of fighters coming to a location to fight progressively more difficult villains. And so the Mortal Kombat movie being a rip-off of Enter the Dragon, it, fe it feels like a Mortal Kombat game. It's so facto. A good film which has no connection to video games at all is Zombieland. Which, when everyone, whenever anyone watches it, they think they're watching a Left 4 Dead film. Because what is Left 4 Dead but wave after wave of zombies with lots of firepower? And as a zombie film nerd, I'm like, you don't want to waste all your ammo, just go for shots. <laughs> I'm like, you know, yes, that's not. I've, I've read Max Brooks' zombie survival manual, or whatever. But um, yeah, you couldn't really make a Left 4 Dead movie without it drawing obvious comparisons to Zombieland. And um, I'm currently enjoying. Castlevania season three we did Castlevania in a previous episode and first five episodes is largely 
just fucking talking. <laughs> um, but I'm still enjoying it. It still feels Castlevania because people love Castlevania for that sort of sense of vampiric lore. And you play these games and it's just you killing skeletons with your whip. But you get a hint of this sort of background sort of gothic world. And, and so far... The third series of the show is, is is just delving into that sort of background. So, uh, yeah, I think a big test will be the forthcoming animated Mario movie, mm. <laughs> and I think that will be much like Animal Crossing and Nintendo's involvement. It seems Nintendo's quite, you know, involved with this new animated movie, and so what they make of that and how much they make it like the expectations of the games and the characters and the feel of that, I think that's going to be even more so than the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and Detective Pikachu. That's the one where I'm just really fascinated. Seeing that first trailer, what it's going to look like and be like, is it just going to be exactly like the games, which I expect it to be, but who knows, they might throw a curveball. I honestly think since it's by Illumination, the trailer's going to be Mario singing, I like to move it, move it. (laughs) That's going to be the trailer. And do you have a favourite video game movie at all? What's your feelings towards movies based on video games? As a as a long-time video games fan and watcher of films, <laughs> I think it's a very, very interesting area. And I think I'm always waiting for one that I really, really like to come along. And it feels... I wonder if it's ever going to be possible for me to be fully satisfied by a film of a game until it's basically... I, I think something like The Last of Us... At a point where a, fil- a game is, is sufficiently like a film to then make a film adaptation, which is basically just recreating that, I think mm. it's going to be the most satisfying. But even then it might not, because I just think it's a retread of what mm. I've already seen. Might I think it's the a, uncanny valley. Yeah, I think it's a very, very hard area. I mean, I, you know, the, the classic example is the Super Mario Brothers movie, and I really enjoyed your podcast <laughs> about that. Uh, and it being one of the first that I ever saw, being a huge Mario fan and just being at the time, around the same time as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, Mm. seeing something that had previously been a cartoon or a video game brought to life with real actors and big budget and everything seemed really exciting, and that was very special. Again, as video games look more and more sophisticated and and the novelty of an adaptation kind of wears off, I think there's more and more onus on the film actually being good Mm. in its own right for it to actually work. So as we, as we were saying, it's really just a feeling that makes a, a great video game movie. And would you say Animal Crossing is a great video game movie? I think it's a great in its uh, encapsulation of the world of Animal Crossing uh, as a movie itself. Um, it's, it's mildly entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you were to show this film to somebody who'd never played Animal Crossing before, they'd have an understanding of what Animal Crossing is by the end of it. Yeah. If they hadn't fallen asleep halfway through. Yes, <laughs> so that brings us to the end of uh, our discussion of all things Animal Crossing and the Animal Crossing movie. Um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, David. Thank you very much for inviting me. I've been really excited about it. It's and very so, privileged to have the mayor of Astown joining us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'll make sure to vote for you in the upcoming elections. The what? <laughs> And uh, yes, uh, how can people find out uh, more about Astown? You can go to the High School Club website, uh, which is on highscoreclub.com. That's spelled H-I-scoreclub.com. Uh, you can also follow on Twitter, at High School Club. 
and various other social media channels is the best way to find out about the show. And uh, how can people find you on social media if they wish? If you wish to, I'm on Twitter as Shrinkwrapped. I you can that. spell that the normal way you might spell Shrinkwrapped. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. And we uh, thoroughly recommend the podcast. There's um, uh, six episodes. Yeah, so I'm making six episodes of Sit for Siri Season 1, which are all about the Animal Crossing games so far. And then I'll be making some other bonus episodes throughout the year. And then next year, I'm going to make season two all about New Horizons. But I want to give my guest mayors and me a chance to actually just play and enjoy the game for a full year before trying to make any podcasts about it. And then you get to experience all the different seasons of that year since its release. Wonderful. Look forward to it. Uh, So if you like this podcast, then please uh, share it with friends and family. Like, rate, review and subscribe. You can find out more about video game movies and the podcast on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. We are on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at gamesonfilmpod. You can email us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at OnlyManWhoCan. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Next time on the podcast... We will be returning to the world of Resident Evil. It's about that time because we haven't done a Resident Evil movie in so long and there are so many of them. And we will be looking at Resident Evil Afterlife in anticipation of the remake of Resident Evil 3 coming out soon. I am looking forward to returning to Resident Evil. I think this is a good fun one, Resident Evil Afterlife. I think... um... I think any sort of sense that there's any sort of cohesion goes gets blasted out of the window <laughs> with Resident Evil Afterlife. And, uh, you know, we're having done so many action-adventure, gun-toting, violent flicks of late, like Tomb Raider, Cradle of Life, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, nice to have had this palate cleanser that is Animal Crossing. Yes, absolutely. So, so, until next time, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. And I've been the Mayor of Astown. Hooray! <laughs> Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.